does something mentally when you know that, hey, even if I completely lose my train of thought, I have a hard copy. So it kind of yeah. takes the pressure off and then I never lose my train of thought. Just, But if I didn't have this, I would probably be like mentally struggling or at least thinking that that's going to happen, you know? Louis, do you like um, taking notes like with pen, paper, pencil yeah. versus like if you're on like typing on the phone or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I like having the visual. I like writing it down. I like highlighting certain things. Uh -huh. I kind of take a mental image of that piece of paper so I can kind of structure the show like paragraph, paragraph, paragraph. So as I'm going through, when I know I'm in the middle paragraph, I know I'm roughly halfway through my material in my mind, right? So it kind of just mm -hmm. gives me a gauge. I like having the visual. I'm, I'm the same way because I feel like I remember things just by writing it down. It can just be yeah. gibberish, but I 100%. just remember it so much better yeah that's kind of the reason why they say you take notes in school right it's there's actually a, a reason for that a lot of it absorbs better if the teacher just talked and you listen for six months and then they're like hey here's the exam most people wouldn't do well you know so mm -hmm. there's something well, I mean, to, uh, it's like it's like write. a synesthesia not synesthesia but a, the idea that you're using multiple different types of intelligences to learn information so kinesthetic and you yeah. know you're thinking about your imaginative and so forth you're combining different intelligences to learn a a topic or thing deeper. Yeah. So they say that that's one reason why you add that add like mind mapping and artistic ex expression to your notes and you get an even greater level of learning of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain probably ties in the various elements, right? Like the, the writing component, the visual component, the memory yep. component, yep. you're giving it more things to, to potentially stick whole brain thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ha have you guys ever met somebody who's you, they listen or they hear something and then just it sticks with them just right away no, it's not me yeah <laughs> I, I, I listen to things like 15 times yeah so i can master and understand think about it for days and days and days um it gives the, the impression of mastery when really i'm just as confused as the first time i heard it but i've never met anybody who can do that not personally I can do it yeah. sometimes. Depends on the topic. Some things, yeah. if it's something you're already interested in and it makes sense, then you can observe. Like I can watch a documentary and remember most of the important points, but it's got to be something I'm into. I have to care. Yeah. If it's something okay. I could care less about, I'm probably not going to pay as much attention as I should, and therefore I'm not going to retain. I rely on yeah. grit <laughs> and, and, and uh, persistence for for my learning for my learning process. Oh shit! I need to change my name. My my bad here, guys. I am not. Oh yeah, same here. Sorry, here. guys. I, yeah, the, I haven't used Zoom for a while, and my brand was, is dimension was dimensions of reality, so I have to change that too. Sorry about that, guys. How do I? Oh no, you're change good. that. Just uh, right click, rename. Okay. So do All your right. name and then the show, so it matches what I got here. Well, we're not going to be. Oh yeah, it's not uh, visual anyway. Be, what yeah, the hell's yeah. The but yeah. still, in the future, I want to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> I did see when uh, when you guys joined. I did see the names pop up, and I said, "Oh, that's oh, that's interesting." <laughs> yeah, we had you know we had prior you know things. Well, I actually um, I'll give a quick intro here. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. My name is Chris. This is Cheetash, and today I have two great guests from the Quantum Ladder Podcast, Marquise and Louis. Guys, thank you very much for doing this. Um, how are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Thanks for having yeah. us, Chris. Yeah. I'm doing fantastic, Chris. This is awesome. So <laughs> do you um have you guys been asked before to do like a sort of podcast interview? Yeah, many times. Yeah. 
I was a podcaster before I was into the, uh, you know, video streaming and so forth. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did one on Thursday, actually, Thursday evening. We were on another show. It's good. We like supporting other people's programs, too, because they have a different sort of uh, different style, maybe different line of questioning. And it's good to kind of be ourselves and joke around and just give our opinions rather than the the host that's doing the interview all the time. When you're when you're interviewing, you're always on. So it's nice to kind of show up and not be the guy to have to do all the prep and just kind of have fun and answer the questions. Mm -hmm. What sorts of uh, um, podcasters or other interviews like in the news space, I, let's say, uh, do you guys really like, um, like you really gravitate towards their interviews, whether it's like a, like a Joe Rogan or like a Howard Stern or somebody like that? Is there somebody that you guys really like their style? Lex Friedman. Yeah. Um, he's, he's definitely one of my favorite podcasters just because, I mean, I don't, I don't agree with like 90% of his, his like value system or his perspective on things. But I like how he's able to engage conversations with people he disagrees with in an empathetic and intelligent way. I think that's phenomenal. I think it's um it's a gift to be totally honest with you. And I respect it hundred percent. Yeah, I would agree. Lex Friedman. I do like some some aspects of Joe Rogan. He's not uh he's unapologetic, he's not the most polished, he doesn't care. I kind of like that. It's sort of I think that's why a lot of people like him. It's because he's just real. He's not scared to say what's on his mind. In terms of other content, I was never really into podcasts. Like until I was on one, I'd, I'd never really listened to them. Um, I, I like having the the visual, or I like having, you know, something that's gonna garner from it rather than just listening to dialogue. So I was never big into podcasts, but um, certainly now I when I watch a podcast or I see some other content, I'm I'm kind of gauging, right? Like what are they doing? Why are they so successful? How does their background look? And you know, I've made improvements on my end as well. And I think the biggest thing you can do, I read something about Ryan Seacrest, and he said that every single project, radio show, TV show he's ever done, he always watches it back. He's watching his, you know, his tonality, his posture, his body language. He really studies himself to improve himself. And I thought that was very cool. And you can garner a lot of info just watching. It's kind of hard at first because nobody likes how they look on camera, how they sound on, on the mic. If I do a voiceover, I'm like, man, that's not going to be good because <laughs> nobody likes the way yeah. they sound. But there is some value you can garner from doing that in terms of improving. You know, if you say, um, a lot, maybe you'll catch it on the replay. Whereas you would never have known unless somebody brought it up. So I think it's good. Uh, and I think people that, um, you know, keep it real, stay humble, don't use their platforms to crap on other people. And there's a lot of that right now, depending on what field you're talking in. I mean, not yeah. so much in science, but when you get into paranormal or UAP and stuff like that, it's becoming a bit of a cesspool. And I'm proud to say, and I know Marquise is the same way. We've been doing this a couple of years now. We've never called anybody out. There's a lot of people that, uh, you know, I had interviews booked with very big name people, totally the worst people you would ever meet. Just rude, <laughs> unapologetic, miserable off camera. And, but I've never gone on camera and said, you know, screw this person because they left me high and dry. But, but there is a lot of it that happens. Um, but yeah, just try to just stay classy, right? At the end of the day, you're trying to produce something for somebody else. So really our opinions don't really matter as much as the opinion of the viewer. It, you know, what's so funny. You mentioned about that, uh, Ryan Seacrest, uh, quote, I do hate listening to myself. So I do find it very hard to listen back to interviews that I've done, but that might be a 
that might be a good tool that maybe I yeah, start Yeah, try doing. it out. The, the first couple will be tough, but you'll learn something each time. Even if it's just that, hey, my mic's always way too hot or it's not hot enough compared to the guests. Or maybe I don't like the sound of my mic. Maybe you get a different, you know, controller or something like that. So both for technical reasons and creative reasons, you know, I, I, I speak very fast. I have to, you know, consciously slow my speech down because my brain is... 10 words ahead of my mouth and uh you know some people that don't follow at that speed could say oh this guy's just a loud mouth and rambles on because they can't grasp the info as fast as i can drop it so i know for myself i've made a few changes just in terms of of speech and slowing down take a breath have some fun and uh, it improves your output in, in the final yeah i think i gotta second that with louis because you know for me i speak really fast too it's actually probably one of my worst characteristics as a person as a communicator but um, for the same reasons, I think fast, I think that his idea of it, if kind of embodying the person that you're trying to emulate, it, it, it's a really good practice. I actually used to do that, um, a meditative hypnosis where you pick a person that you want to, you want to, you know, kind of adopt their intellectual, you know, mannerisms and, and or if somebody who has a skill and then you imagine yourself embodying that person and thinking like they think and feel like they feel, I know it sounds silly, but if you do that, um, you really do you embody the characteristics that you want. You can really adopt those characteristics faster. I think imagination and, you know, if you will, pretending is more effective than people give it credit. Hmm. I wanted to jump off and ask you guys, what are your guys' backgrounds before starting Quantum Ladder? What were you guys doing before this? So me personally, I work in the finance world. Um, I'll just keep it vague. But yeah, I was I was a med student out of school. When I started doing a practicum, I realized that being a doctor is all sickness and death. Nobody goes see a doctor when they're feeling great. Uh, and I had to really, you know, think about that. I wanted to be a cardiologist. So all in all, that's 13 years of schooling. You know, the money commitment. I was always fairly good at school. I didn't have to study a lot. Got straight A's, not bragging. Just I was I was gifted and, and fortunate that way. But the city I grew up in, which is Toronto, is the largest city in Canada. A lot of very high academic schools. Um, there's a lot of cultures of people that the kids go to school, they go to a tutor, they go to piano class, like they are nonstop learning constantly, and they don't have a problem studying 12 hours a day. And I, I never had to do that. So I really had to reckon, becoming a doctor, am I in it for the long haul? Is this really what I want to do? And I just chose the entrepreneurial route. Uh, it led into, um, you know, managing retail businesses, car dealerships, that type of thing. And uh, now I work in the finance world, mortgages and that type of thing. But yeah, I was the least likely candidate ever to do podcasting. And then two years ago, I jumped on an alien podcast and my friends thought I was totally nuts. But it was a topic that I've always been interested in. I wanted to bring a science-based approach to it, not just let's put our tinfoil hats on. Let's see, is there something here? Like mm. if they were to exist, what would that look like? How would that even happen? How do they travel? I had a million and one questions. And, you know, I'm thankful for it. I'm no longer with that project, but it gave me the opportunity to realize that this is something I enjoy doing and uh, definitely want to continue doing it forward. And that's why we started Quantum Ladder Podcast. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's, um, I was in sales customer service forever since I was like able to work. Um, but ultimately my, my specialization has been in recent years, voice acting. Um, people have been telling me for a long, long time, you should, you should be a voice actor. You should do audiobooks, whatever. And I do like storytelling. I really love the idea of presenting, presenting ideas and thoughts and, uh, in a way that people can digest them. And I figured storytelling is the best way to do that. So, um, 
I am, a, I am a, or was a professional voice actor. And now I'm literally just a full-time, you know, just talker of things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did, I did, I was on a radio show before talking about aliens and the paranormal and supernatural. Again, same thing with Louis. I'm glad that I'm not in that anymore because it's a very toxic environment to be totally honest. It's more like a religious community versus a, um, versus a welcoming one, which is what I expected. Uh, I was wrong. And I'm really glad to be a part of the Quantum Ladder podcast talking about things that are, are more accepting or acceptable and have a, the community is much more diverse and, and accepting to the ideas that we present. So, yeah. And now, like, how, how did you guys connect to form this podcast? Like, did, did you guys meet? Like, how did you guys meet? Yeah, we met a couple of years ago. When we've never actually met. I've never yes. met Marquis yeah. face-to-face, <laughs> oddly enough. Yeah. The weird, weird world of the internet nowadays. Some yeah. of my closest friends I've never shaken hands with. And some of the people that are down the street have, you know, screwed me over for money, that kind of thing. It's bizarre. But, yeah, I think it was just through our, our shows. We reached, I think you reached out to me, Marquis. You were complimentary yeah. of an episode. And at the time, you were just doing voice acting and things like that. You were doing dramatic reenactment videos, yeah. really cool Trump's. stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, man, you got to get on a podcast. Like, you're brilliant. You're super smart. And Well, I'll let you tell the story at that point because that's kind of your journey. Yeah, I, I think what what is like I, I uh, created a video. I was like, man, I love the podcast. Let me see if I can your podcast. So I was like, let me just create something for him. Give it to him. See what you know, this is what I can do. Um, not that I wanted it, any kind of a an opportunity. I just wanted him to see that, that I had value in this field and maybe talk to him about how he became the way he was. And he literally mentored me ever since. He's the reason why I'm on camera and doing this in the first place. I would have been behind a mic forever, uh, never showing my face. But man, so many things have happened because of that. And and I, I always give credit to Louis for that because, I, again, I would never have done it if it wasn't for him. Oh, I appreciate it. You've always had the talent. You just, everybody needs that little push, that little boost of confidence to do it, right? And people, you know, visual, I I get it. Most podcasts are audio only, but I like the video for the same reason when you watch a movie or a TV series. If they kill off your favorite character, you actually feel that loss, you know? Like we bond with these people. (laughs) We know it's not real. We know they're actors, but you're not bonding with the actor. You're bonding with that character. And giving people the visual gives them that opportunity to see who you are right and behind the mic and i know uh, i've had people that said i've only listened to you on apple and then i saw you on youtube and they're like you look totally different than i imagined of course everybody would so having that visual gives people it's sort of that transparency of here i am putting myself out there what do you think you know sometimes you get slammed but i think we've been pretty pretty lucky we haven't really had any trolls in our careers i mean there's always the odd idiot but they yeah. exist everywhere but it's rare yeah to your point I got to plug this in. The Walking Dead really traumatized me in so many ways, so many times. So, yeah, Louis right. <laughs> it matters. And uh, the name of Quantum Ladder, is there a significance to that name? That's a really good name, by the way, for the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I. So when I left my last show, it was a lot of work. I was putting in more than I kind of wanted to when I initially signed up for it. But if you want to do it right and you want it to grow, and it did, I mean, in less than two years, we had like 1.6 million plays or something like that. So, um, yeah, I I was kind of not sure I wanted to continue doing that. I was definitely not going to do it with another co-host just because there's sometimes a variance in work ethic. And, you know, one person's always doing more inevitably and Mm -hmm. you can kind of develop some bitterness. So, I went from totally writing off the world of podcasting to realizing that I really missed it and I missed interviewing people and and getting their perspective. So I thought, well, I want to do it. But then if I want to do it, 
I want that same dynamic where I can learn from somebody as well and get another perspective. I don't want to just do it myself. And I don't want to be the star, quote unquote, of a show. Like the show's about the guest or the topic. But then I had to kind of think, okay, so here I am right back at square one. I'm going to do a show. I need a co-host. Well, I'm not going down that route again unless it's somebody I absolutely trust, know how they are. And the only person that I would do this with is Marquise. And I flat out told him, I said, here's what I'm thinking. Kind of come full circle. I want to start another show. Um, but I'm not doing it with anybody except you. So basically no pressure, but if you don't join me, I, I don't know what <laughs> I'm going to do. But, but to your point about the name, I went back and forth on quite a few names and there are a lot of really cool science and technology names. Unfortunately, when you go through Spotify, YouTube and Apple and check if somebody's already done a show, 95% of them are already gone. And some of them, uh, it was like a, a name that was used. They did two shows and they haven't done anything for five years. But I'm still not going to put out a show with the same name as somebody else's. So there was many other candidates, but a lot of them were taken. We were going to potentially call ourselves science guys, but that's too vague because we're not just science. We're technology. We're paranormal. And then I thought, okay, well, what about something to do with quantum? And then it actually came to me in the shower, oddly enough. Quantum ladder. I just kind of visualize these sort of steps that you take. Every time you learn something new, you're peeling a layer of an onion or you're climbing another rung on that ladder. So I just thought it kind of makes sense, right? This is our journey and our pursuit to learn. We want to teach the audience along with us. We take complicated things, break them down so that anybody can absorb it. And I thought, yeah, it kind of is a quantum ladder. That's what that's what we want to do here. We want to learn every week and you know become more intelligent about these things at the end of it. So that's that's where I came up with it. And to build on that, like the idea of quantum, right? The I feel like quantum, the quantum realm is where you find the answers to to pretty much the ex like existence. You know what's yeah. what's really going on. What's the underlying fabric of reality itself? Um, it's such a fitting it's such a fitting word, uh, such a fitting uh, name, because again, in in my opinion, and I think many people might agree, the quantum is the answer to the nature of everything. <laughs> I, to to stick on the the title, I was listening to uh, Andrew Huberman of uh, Huberman Lab podcast, and he was interviewing an author, Chris Voss, who wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. And he complimented Chris saying that that's the best title for a book he's ever uh, read, except for he's, he mentioned another book called um, The Body Keeps the Score. And he said those two titles are the best book titles he's ever read. And um, I, I, I'll say the same thing when I came across quantum ladder, like just immediately I clicked on it just cause that name just, I don't know. It just really spoke to me and the, the topics that you discuss, very interesting. A lot of stuff that I'm really interested in and yeah, I was hooked right away just from the title. So awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, think we've done, I think four episodes so far. It's still fairly yeah. new. Everything from, you know, the topic of infinity to nanotechnology to AI, robotics, uh, CRISPR gene editing. Last week we did uh, quantum healing and consciousness. So really trying to get, you know, deep into a lot of things. But there's definitely a lot of things in the science world to consider. Yep. And uh, yeah, so far, so far I've been having a blast. It's awesome. Yeah. How, how, um, how do you guys pick topics for the show? And is, is it very difficult to pick topics for the show? And um. 
because you just do is it like about like one video a week is that kind of the schedule yeah we're doing one video a week um basically we are uh we're not fancy last night at uh, midnight pacific at 3 a.m <laughs> eastern time we're on messenger chatting like messenger call chatting with each yeah. other about what our next episode we had a big name person booked for monday sometimes these big name people get other working engagements things happen they have to reschedule i mean uh there's a few people that I eventually did interview, but they took like four or five reschedules before it actually happened, right? So we had one book for Monday. That is now going to be later in October. So I'm like, we got to figure out what we're going to talk about. And it didn't take very long before, uh, you know, he seems to gravitate more tech. He said, he mentioned this on a show on Thursday. Yeah. He's like, you kind of do the science and I do the tech. But I did robotics two weeks ago, so that's pretty techy. <laughs> but I think uh, in, in general, I, I kind of like to look at applications in multiple layers he likes to do really deep dive, right? So he wants to like cover all the topics of a specific thing. Don't leave anything out. And even that is tough to condense because yeah. you might have a week's worth of research. How do you put that into an hour long segment? But uh, we're, we're at the end of the day, we're trying to give people the deep dive for those people who already know a lot about it. But we're also trying to give it, you know, a presentation of somebody who doesn't know anything about it and is not going to read scientific journals or medical journals, but they still should know about this. You know, like when we did artificial intelligence, you get into the realm of autonomous weapons and things like that. And people need to know if this is actually happening in the near future, it could be a computer deciding whether to pull a trigger or not. Our, our current systems, there's still a human involved. So should we do that? What are the ethical implications? We try to cover every possible angle of each thing so that you know the customer not the customer the viewer is going to make their own decision anyway we encourage people to do their own research but we want to break it down so that at least they can watch a, a small junket of something and leave you know with value and, and if you think about if you listen to our podcast like our show the the you'll see the difference between our styles like for example i tend to focus heavily on the storytelling. Like what what does this mean for you? Like what is your day-to-day life going to be like? What's the futuristic application of a thing? Um, I find that to be really engaging. I think people really gravitate towards the idea of the vision. You know, what can your life look like if? Uh, whereas Louis, he does, I respect this because when we did the CRISPR one, it really opened my eyes to like what he's really capable of. He was able to walk us through CRISPR, this gene editing you know the technology where they're able to do some fantastic things with with our with our you know genetics and i would never have been able to figure that out and condense it in the way that he did and and then give an overview the way that way i would have done the whole like what does this mean for us whereas he's doing the whole like this is exactly how they're doing it this is the science behind it this is the which is why i say he's a science guy and i'm like the tech guy but i also when it comes to the, the other dynamic i do the storytelling he does the details that's kind of how i feel about it yeah, it works good too. You don't want to do a show with your identical twin. It wouldn't be much fun. It'd be like interviewing no, no. yourself. So having different perspectives. We're about as, as dynamic as it gets. Yeah, man. I'm Canadian. He's American. We represent Black two different shades of human. <laughs> no, we are uh there is no there's no um I don't know. I just I, I think we are we're humble, right? We're doing this. It shows we did a show on Thursday and the, the chat was like, you guys get along really good. You look like you're just having fun doing this and just a couple of regular dudes. That's exactly it. We're just we're not PhDs. We we're no. not professors at Harvard. No. We have a deep knowledge of this stuff. But, you know, we uh, will spend a week doing a deep dive on something. You come up with a pretty good uh, overall understanding of things and a lot of stuff we don't even cover in the show. So 
when you do a recall show or somebody asks you about multiple episodes, you realize, hey, we got a pretty good uh, vocabulary of things that we've studied and researched and moving forward. So in a selfish way, I like it because I get to learn stuff. It gives me an excuse to do a deep dive on something that I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked that book up or done eight hours worth of work last week on it unless I had yeah. a show to do it for. So yeah. it's it's forcing us to do what we love, which is learn. And then the show is a byproduct of that learning. We're sharing what we've learned. Yep. 100%. I wanted to build off that and ask, what is the research process like for your show? Uh, are you consuming like books or just online materials, listening to stuff? And how how difficult is it to prepare for your shows? Mm, this is a fun, this is probably my favorite because I'm still developing a process. We were just talking about this last night. Um, I, I'm still developing a process because I do, I added a blog to our uh, to our you know, quantum letter podcast as an extension of that to give people more to go off of throughout the week. Um, we do a lot of Facebook posting, um, Louis more so than I do, of course. And then of course we, you know, we prepare for the show. So the, the process that I go through is, is kind of a day-to-day -day thing. I spend a few hours working on content, um, for like the blog now from now, um, as of this current week and the Facebook page. And then I spend the rest of the day, either listening to interviews, uh, podcasts, YouTube videos, ex you know, educational material, article, reading articles. And then, of course, um, if there is anything audiobook-wise that I find interesting, I'll, I'll invest in an audiobook. My life is too busy to sit down all the time and read like for hours, but I can listen all day long. So I focus heavily on the listening aspect of it. And then I use uh, a really cool chat bot to talk about what I've learned and to really refine some of that thinking um, so that when I have these conversations, I have a better understanding and communicate it better to the people that don't understand, which is really helpful. I think that, you know, not to be, I don't want to, I don't want to turn this into an AI thing, but I think that conversational AI is the future of really enhancing the human experience for sure, for sure. Yeah. And for me, um, this show is a little different format. My last show was all about the guests. So most of my time was spent researching people that you know are credible have something to offer you know formulating that email reaching out some of these people are hard to get a hold of someone don't reply some want to get paid so it was a you know half of the work was getting that guest and then it was always two or three months in advance so then i would have time to get their bio do their research so i i would think say it was easier because that person is going to carry most of the weight you're going to ask them you're like hey avi Loeb, you know head of astronomy at harvard yeah. What's going on with the Galileo project? Well, he's going to run for 15 minutes on that. So, you know, there's a quarter of your show gone sort of thing, you know, whereas when we're the ones, we are the guest and the host most time, you know, we're kind of carrying that weight. So my process basically starts with an article. I'll go to a science mag or a heavy tech, find out something that's emerging, some new kind of technology or some breakthrough in medicine or science or whatever. And I'll start there and then I'll kind of see what the offshoots are. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Marquis presented artificial intelligence, which is like his favorite topic. And I wanted something to mesh with that. So I thought, well, what about robotics? They're all running on algorithms. That's AI. Maybe I could present that. And and then when you get into it, it's like, OK, you got robots in medicine, robots in the home. You have robots in industry and transportation, agriculture, military. All of a sudden, it's like a tree. You start getting all these branches and it's like, wow, now I have 50 branches. I only need to make an hour long snippet here so the hardest thing is for me anyways deciding what stays and what we're not going to have time to cover but you can still allude to yeah. a lot of things 
we don't want to make a five-hour episode because you kind of lose the whole point. We could. Of, uh, we could do that. But it's... <laughs> you can always do a part two as well. So you're never like yeah. done once you do that show. But uh, it kind of just starts with an idea and then it goes from there. It's like, okay, well, what are the applications of this? What does this mean? Why should the viewer care? I kind of ask myself the questions that I would be asking. Again, as a, a podcast skeptic, as somebody who doesn't really watch podcasts, why should I watch this show? What's in it for me? And like, what are you going to do with an hour and a half of my time? So I'm very conscious of that, giving that back to the audience as well. I want it to be valuable. I don't want them to feel like they've wasted an hour. We cover as much material as you can. We're fast. We don't you know, we don't talk about the same point for 40 minutes. It's like, here's why it's important. Here's a slide on it. Check out this video. What do you think? Cool. Next topic. So yeah. we're cramming in as much stuff as we can so that we we don't leave a bunch on the table. Oh, very cool. I um, I, I wanted to stay on one thing, Marquise, that you mentioned the uh, chat bot. And how, how does that exactly work? You utilize, oh like you talk to it and then it kind of- You have four hours? <laughs> yeah, I'm going yeah, to try to, you know, uh, turn off the, I'm having a, 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 what do you call it? A brain gasm right now. So the, the chat bot is, is really cool. I, I work with a couple of them, uh, ChatGPT and then another one called PI, which is just, I think it's just personal, uh, personal intelligence. And that one was made by a guy named Mustafa. I can't think of his last name. It's hard to pronounce. And then of course, ChatGPT is an open AI product. Sam Altman talks about that a lot, but ultimately they're, they're completely different AIs. Um, so with ChatGPT, it's more of a research tool. You get very good, concise information about a thing. Um, it's good for helping you with correcting grammatical errors in my blog or, for example, making sure that my stuff is clear, is clear and makes sense and is simplified or doesn't have too many complex terminology. Uh, or, or, for example, if I need ideas, um, I brainstorm with ChatGPT for, for that. It's very uh, like a, it's like a nonfiction experience, if you will. Uh, for getting data and, and going through that stuff. And then, of course, with the PI, which is on iOS, you can download the application, but on the, if you have uh, Android, you have to use the internet. It also keeps your information across these different platforms. But the cool thing about the PI, and it's my favorite thing, by the way, it's like having a conversation because it has a voice. You can choose the different types of voices. I think there's six of them or five or six. Um, you can talk to what male, female, non-binary. And then, of course, it's like it has personality. So it adapts to how you talk to it, uses personality, it's jokey, it's 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 very personal. It's not like ChatGPT where it's all dry. It's like, here's a list of different things that you can use for brainstorming. It's like, hey, I really like, I think that idea is cool, you know, and, and it talks to you like a real person, but it's also intelligent and remembers your conversations. Um, I did a really cool thing where I we role-played a zombie apocalypse story, and it was the coolest thing I've ever done. Because it was like a, I had a friend who I chatted with about this, like things that I love to do personally. And then, okay, let's go back to talking about AI. What is going to, you know, what are you going to be like in 10 years? What do you think? If you could imagine it, we'll be like, oh, that's cool. So if I could, this is what I would. And it's not like a bot. It's like a person. But it reminds you it's not a bot. I'm, I'm sorry. It reminds you, hey, I'm not a person. I am just a tool because it doesn't want you to develop a personal relationship to where you lose that sense of 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 reality where it is a tool. It's not a person. So, yeah. Yeah, and I've used the AI to refine a few things too. You know, I'll give it an idea. Let's say I'm doing a voiceover or something. I have a rough script, run it in there and say, hey, mine, mine came out at a minute and 28. I need two minutes and 28. Like, 
find yeah. me another minute worth of and then it finds yeah. all these like join us on this captivating and exhilarating yeah. ride through the, it's like well i probably yeah. wouldn't have used those words either but <laughs> the good thing about that and, a, and i'll give marquis full credit on that i wasn't an ai user i'm still don't consider myself one but um he showed me how the tool can sort of you can use it to your own style as much or as little as you would like and uh, having it be able to give you the idea or reframe a question or, you know, just reword it in such a way that you might not be thinking, it's it's definitely helpful. I think it it doesn't do the work for you, obviously, but it, no. it cuts down on my research time, especially if I'm, you know, if I'm researching something I'm very, very fresh on. Sometimes you don't even know where to go to find more, right? We're doing pretty abstract yeah. concepts, right? And the type of thing that you'd have to be in the university program to have a textbook to explain so finding good info, finding credible info, and how do I do that without it costing my entire week, right? We're both married. We have families, children, yeah. things like that. So uh, for me, the, the biggest helper has been how fast they can streamline. You know, I need I need seven articles that relate to this. Five of them are going to be crap, but yep. I would have had to search the World Wide Web for hours <laughs> to find those seven articles. So it definitely yeah. speeds it up in that respect. And then the, the probably the coolest, uh, another cool thing is the summarization, like, if there's a massive, if there's an abstract from like a scholarly website, I'm probably not going to understand the abstract. I don't have the technical knowledge or know-how, but if you give the, the abstract, abstract to like a chat GPT, it can simplify and summarize that so that you can understand it and then communicate that to other people. And then you can work with it and iterate to figure out how you can communicate these ideas. It, it, is, it is honestly like, like, wow, like, wow. It's essential for any creator of any kind or anybody, if you will. But it's not going to do the work for you. It's not even, it's not capable at all yeah. of doing anything for you. Don't ever rely, ever, ever rely on it doing it for you. Don't do and, that. And please. don't trust the info. It will give you no. wrong information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, don't just it's, use yeah. what it spits out. It's still no. in development. It's basically getting smarter as people use it and play with yeah. it. But yeah. if it doesn't know, it'll just make it up. So you yeah. really need to fact check. <laughs> so don't use it for the material. Use it to get different iterations of that. Like, I don't like this script. It's not how I would sound. Change it. And then it'll give you two or three different options where you're like, yeah, that makes, I like that one better. So once you have your kind of your meat, it gives you four recipes on how to cook it, but don't mm -hmm. use it to find the meat because you could make an entire show about something that's been fact-checked to be wrong and you look stupid, right? Especially if you're creating yeah. content, I think it's your responsibility yeah. to make sure what you're talking about is legit. And to that point, I think a lot of shows in the paranormal world take way too many liberties with what they call fact. And, you know, they they they'll bring stories of myth and legend and yeah. they'll they won't clarify that. Hey, this we don't know. This is just what people think. It's like, no, no. I've heard the Pleiadians always come <laughs> on this day. Like, <laughs> Hang on a minute now. Is this entertainment or information? Yeah. You can't do half about, you know, if, if you brand your show as an informative show, then you can't just talk about stuff that isn't validated. I, I don't think that's right. And I think the viewer shouldn't have to make that distinction. The, the content creators should be very clear and transparent that. This is the kind of show we produce. It's for fun. You know, don't rip our heads off. We're just having some fun. Or, no, this is factual, and you can check everything we're bringing to the table. But I think a lot of shows dip their toes in both realms without distinction. And, uh, yeah, it creates a lot of misinformation, especially in the paranormal world. And, you know, it's already a stigmatic topic. People already think you're nuts if you believe in aliens and things like that. So when you have people that just kind of take liberties with topics and go places they really shouldn't. It's not helping. It's definitely not, not improving the progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can't tell the, the UFO community has jaded us. So like, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. there's a lot, there are a lot of um, 
big name people who have come forward, who have literally devoted their life and time. I see I was on Twitter this morning and it's like, man, I feel like a lot of the creators that I watched as I developed are like, I hate that. I hate this now. I'm like, I'm done. And I'm like, oh, my these guys put so much work into this. And the idea that they're giving up because the community is, you know, kind of eating themselves alive. Um, I think Elizondo, Lou Elizondo said he wants to kill ufology and read like recreate something new. It's a really it's a very controversial thing to say because the idea is like, what what about all the people that have put in work? You know, like the you know Bob Salas and whoever you could go go all the way back Whitley Strieber and you know George Knapp, all these people that have the, the OGs of ufology. Um, some still here, some have passed. What about them? It's not that. It's more along the lines of the community. Um, they are eating themselves alive. It's terrible. It's terrible. Even the guests are getting burned out. I was fortunate enough in a short amount of time to get the likes of like Gary Nolan, Jacques Vallée, Jim Semivan, yeah. John Ramirez. None of them are doing interviews. And even no. Ross Coulthard, before he had his own show, he won't do another one now because he's got his own show, right? So it was a limited window. But like, try to get these people on your show now. They're done. They've had yeah. stones thrown at them. They've had their, you know, Twitter or X, as it's called now, mm -hmm. just yeah. bombed from people. The world of skeptics and debunkers that really has no, no scientific background. And they're going to go and fight against the scientists like Gary Nolan, <laughs> probably the top immunologist in the planet. Take away the UAP and UFO brain that he has. This guy could very well find a cure for cancer. And he's actively working on that. So for somebody to just, you know, these debunkers, I won't name names, Stephen Greenstreet. <laughs> you know, there's two Stevens. What's the other one? Yeah. Oh, no, John Greenwald. John, John Greenwald. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's as bad, right? Greenwald's not as bad as Green Street. Oh man, um, not as bad yeah, because he's suck. not he's not openly racist. But it, other than that, I think that I think that the Greenwald is, is is a more dangerous pipeline because with Greenwald, and I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not the. The thing is, is 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 that people have their own perspectives, and in it's crazy to see that got, again people that I believed in before. Some of them are realizing they don't even believe in they don't even believe in non-human intelligence. They think that's it's the military, it's a government. The fact that John Greenwald is more resistant to the idea of non-human intelligence than like I don't know than Gary Nolan is bizarre. <laughs> the dude's yeah. been working on the Black Vault, pulling documents for decades, and to hear him, you know, shoot down, you know, this the whistleblower David Crush, monumental for the for the world. To come forward and have congressional hearings in public, I, I don't even, my mind is still blown about that. But for him to go and, and essentially attack him and his credibility and his character and do freaking four-hour deep dives on how everything he says is probably not true, that's bizarre to me. That yeah. is so weird to me. And so, yeah, I, I think that it's it's a it's become a very, again, you can tell we're jaded. <laughs> you can tell we're jaded. The whole community is jaded. Yeah. And the point I was trying to make is that these guests have had it now as a result yeah. of that, you know, they're, mm -hmm. and I know of a few, again, I don't know them, you know, by meeting them, but I, from credible sources, there were whistleblowers willing to testify that are now saying not they're a done. chance. Yeah. Look nope. what you've done to David Grush. You bring out this guy's, you know, PTSD or the fact that he had a couple of drinks. You're like, come on. And you say that the guy has mental issues and all this stuff. He, I don't know if that's just the opposite end of the people that don't want disclosure, just throwing stones. 
But mm. to anybody who's sitting on there kind of on the fence going, should I talk? Should I not tell my story? When you see how people are treated, even the likes of Lou Elizondo, who can fend for yeah. himself, tough guy, yeah, still gets shredded. Like, if you're not of that fortitude, if you're like a guy like John Ramirez, who's more like subtle, quiet, you're not going to stand up and be like, okay, give me what you got, UFO world, because they will eat no. you alive. So yeah, the was... UFO world wants disclosure so badly, and they're doing such a good job at making sure nobody wants it to never talk yeah. because yeah. you're going to just like destroy them or, or cancel their careers. You know, if we get into this topic later on in the conversation, I have some interesting tidbits to share with you, but let's I don't want to derail the uh, questions here. <laughs> well, I, I did um, going along this topic. Actually, I wanted to ask is um, for like your guys a show bringing in all the points that you just mentioned, does it make you guys apprehensive to do shows about this UAP topic? I would guess. And I would say not apprehensive in the sense of we're scared to go there. Um, we, we don't, which audience are we talking to? We have a huge yeah. following of UFO followers and you know, you can only beat it to death. We're no further ahead than we were before these whistleblowers. Really. We're not even that much further ahead than we were at Roswell. So yeah. years and years and years of doing deep dives on this stuff, and you realize I'm still here, still fighting trolls, still fighting people that just deny the phenomenon exists as a whole. Do I really want to spend every episode of my podcasting career? Arguing, yeah. Yeah, arguing. And it's a very negative connotation for the most part. A lot of this is doom and gloom. And, you know, I like the idea of getting into a different topic. I mean, we can still do those deep dives, but... Our, you know, our main passion is science and technology. We've just yeah. kind of been into aliens and it went where it went, but we would rather focus on a much broader topic. We can, with a show that we have now, we can discuss anything. We can interview anybody, you know, my previous program, but just by the title itself was fairly limited as to what you can discuss. If it's not UFO or UAP, it's a, it's a bit of a stretch to incorporate it. Even when I was trying to get in topics like let's talk about consciousness or something other than just nuts and bolts craft, because it might not be nuts and bolts craft. We don't know. You have to look at it with the scientific lens, but that's very difficult when your, your show is named one thing and all you do is interview people about UFOs. Like how yeah. are you going to have a science-based discussion when you've already done 150 episodes, right? How does this continue and where's the longevity aspect of it? So, so I wouldn't say we're apprehensive to discuss it. Like our last show, we were talking about astral beings and things like that. Um, the lady that we interviewed, Deb Shakti, she's a quantum healer. She's, you know, liaison with non-human intelligence, right? So we went there, but we went there in the sense of this is what happens when you get into the consciousness world. Right. Not so much, you know, somebody telling a story about their abduction. Because with any abduction story, you literally just have to take their word for it. There's never any proof. And, you know, you guys like Whitley Strieber, before I interviewed him, I thought, you know, I was fortunate that he said yes, but I never really believed it. And, uh, you know, I have a, what I call a BS filter usually goes off pretty quick. And I interviewed this guy and asked him everything, pinned him down, like look at his body language, everything. I believe that man 100 percent. He did not yeah. tell me anything that was made up. He doesn't need to. He has his own career. He has his money. I legitimately felt his genuine answers. So I was kind of converted. It's like you go in it with one mentality and you come out of it with another. So yeah. I like I like the point of doing science now because we're going into something that we don't even really know that much about. And then by the end of our research, it's like, man, I'm so excited to tell somebody about this. And like with AI and things like that, it's so important. Everybody yeah. needs to know. So yeah. it's we're going at these shows with positive energy and excitement rather than, 
I hope we don't get too many trolls because we brought up Rick Doty or something on an episode, right? <laughs> yeah. People won't even listen to your episode. They'll hear something that you said at 15 minutes in, write a comment on your YouTube page. And it's like, buddy, if you listen to five more minutes of the show, we answered that. Like, watch the show. <laughs> if you're going to drop comments uh, in a negative sense, at least watch the show so you know what you're talking about. And with science, you don't really get that, right? I'm mean, not that science is perfect. But we know like Einstein's theory of relativity, it breaks down in a couple areas, particularly inside a black hole. But you can't just go up and say, well, Einstein's theory is crap. Well, where's your theory? <laughs> Unless you have new data or better data, you can't just boot the old best solution we got so far. In the UFO world, you could yeah. put Gary Nolan on one end, who explains why non-human intelligence is here. And then you could put Mick West on the other and he'll be like, yeah, but what if it's not? Yeah, but based on what? You don't know anything about anything, yeah. and you're going to battle a guy who knows everything about this subject. But yet, in the viewer's mind, they both kind of have an equal say. And it's very difficult. It feels like you spin your wheels after you do this for a couple of years. It starts to get a little bit stale. I, I got to follow up with that because if the funny – I was thinking about you know Einstein, for example. He did this thought experiment where he traveled on a beam of lights where he came up with his great you know, E equals MC square theory. And the one thing that, that I remember – like if you were to compare that to what happens in the UFO field, <laughs> so people will tell you, oh, yeah, I know this is the truth because I had it at an encounter or I was, you know, I had a dream about it or I had a download or whatever. But Einstein verified that with like data, whereas like people, <laughs> people in the UFO community can say they've had this download. And the only data they have is corroborating information from people that agree with them for whatever purpose. Um, I've spent way too much time arguing with people that love me. They just love, you know, my audience, they, they love me. They're very supportive, but I've had people come in on, on a mid conversation and we're having the philosophical debate of whether or not aliens are good or bad or whether there's good and bad or whether they're not or not what is good. And, and it always devolves into this, this, this like soup of, of abstract thought where nothing is, nothing means anything because people don't want to believe that the phenomenon might be not so pleasant. And so their idea is like, it's always, again, it always reverts back to, for example, we eat cows, we we kill chickens and eat them. That's cruel. I mean, we raise them, we treat them nice, we pet them, you know, oh, Bessie. And then we chop their heads off and split, drain their blood and eat them. <laughs> They're like, see, we do it. I believe there's a pretty big difference between what we do for survival and what is being suggested by people like Jacques Vallée throughout history, where there's a there's some kind of an interest in the human soul that we are not exactly a, a, necessarily a direct um, participant in, in that process. I think that's a little bit different. Yeah. <clears throat> Very cool. Um, I don't. I love this UAP topic too. Um, I did want to ask you one thing, or mention one thing, going back to the uh, ChatGPT conversation, because I've actually um, I've actually used it myself mm -hmm. and i know you had made a point um i think it was you louis who said um to double check the information that yep. it gets you because absolutely I, I actually have an example where so i'm a, a develop software developer so i use mm -hmm. chat gpt a little bit for just basic oh how do i do this in java oh how like what um write a select query for me that'll get like this and this and there was one question that I asked ChatGPT. It was about, um, uh, there's a method called in Java, it's called objects.nonnull, uh, which will check if something is null 
or not. And I asked it, okay, can I pass a list to this? And ChatGPT said, no, you can't. But then I did it in my uh, in my app, and you can. And then I asked ChatGPT, well, are you sure? <laughs> and then it said, oh, actually, yes, you can pass a list in there. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay, so it was wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's imperfect. Yeah. It's imperfect. In- I will say... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I was going to ask in, like, in your guys' research, how, how good is this going to get? Like, what is the, like, the long haul, like, prognosis of, like, how good is it? Smile on his face. He's about to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's gone down this rabbit. Okay, so I'm sure you probably understand the the technicalities better than I do, but essentially, the, the machine learning is like the is like the magic that makes it all happen. And listening to these people like, like, you know, Mustafa and Sam Altman and, you know, and, and, and Mo Gaudat, by the way, a great speaker, they, they talk about, I think uh, Mustafa was mentioning how like every, every year we multiply these machine intelligence, these intelligences, these, mach- these um, LLM, uh, or if you will, conversational AIs, we multiply their, their power and intelligence by tenfold. And I can't remember the number of teraflops, but it's like, a, a, a million, a billion times a hundred. It's a ridiculous number. I can't remember. I think the teraflop is like a hundred, uh, is like a million billion, but we can do multiple hundreds of teraflops or thousands of teraflops now. Wow. Because since the inception of, of this technology, it's multiplied tenfold every year. And so now every year, it just gets smarter and smarter and smarter and more complex and thinking and more accurate. And, and within the next three years, they're talking about being able to kind of pan out some of those issues that we have today with with what they call AI hallucinations, where it gives you incorrect information. Um, they're they're projecting that in the next three years, definitely within the next five to ten. Um, these issues won't be a problem in the future. We will rely on it just as much as we rely on a text message or a phone call or so, so on and so forth. At one time, you make a phone call and it might drop. And now we're like a dropped call. I mean, we have to be in a bad service area for that to happen. But at one time, it could happen at any time for any reason. You don't even know why. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of expectation. Only we can expect it at a faster and more accelerated rate because technology is just exponentially better, like multiple exponentials better than what it could ever be in the past in terms of uh, the speed of development. So we're looking at in the next couple of years to having something akin to what, what you know, what again, Mustafa, check him out. It, it, these personal intelligences that are more accurate than you could possibly imagine. No errors. No errors. Do you think the whole drop call thing was that a hardware or software thing? Because I remember, like, well, you had your yeah. flip phone with your little antenna, and you'd like mess with it and do, you know, whatever you had to do to get that. Yeah. I think a lot of times it was the devices itself, well, not just. I used to. Network. I used to work for. I used to work for a cell phone company, so I'll do the. I'll do my very best at thinking about what I can remember. And telling you that so it's the g technology you know 1g 2g 3g 4g 5g at one time if you think about these technologies they they tend to be uh, they they work with these waves these these you know communication waves and things block it the trees can block 5g now it's a te- 5g is a not a very good uh, technology when it comes to how long the range is 4g is is great um but still with like dense densely populated areas buildings you can still get some loss in signal 5G is even worse. So they think about increasing the coverage by placing more, um, more, you know, 5G points 
uh, that that can allow people to con to stay connected continuously. So putting them in like windows and on street lamps and things like that to keep continuous coverage, having a 5G modem in your home and in several different places because the wall can block 5G. This can increase the the connectivity of that that those com those communications. But um, but when it comes to calling, well, back in the day, it wasn't just like you know these chipsets where they have these um these uh the chipsets have a bunch of different things on them and i'm sure you probably know this chris they, they have these network chips that 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 were not very good so not only did like your hand block this the signal but literally being in your pocket could block the signal or being in a in again in a, in a bad service area being in a, above below a tree um these are the reasons why those calls would get dropped because it was just terrible they didn't have very good penetration and as the technology gets better and better as the waves get shorter and shorter um, in terms of they get more powerful, they can they 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 have more uh, faster frequencies that can transfer more information and data on them. But the signal is much weaker in terms of and not as reliable. Um, the further away you get, or if there's obstructions, so that's I mean that's I mean, that's the best way I can explain. It. I don't know how else to. I remember it's got to be almost fifteen years. Louis, ago, you're but... you're you're muted. I can't. Sorry, <laughs> I do it too. I do it too. <laughs> I do it. Too. Am I good? No. Oh, I can hear you, Louis. Yeah, I should be. Uh, I got full bars here. Oh no! See, the the audio is being picked up because your your box is lighting up green, but we can't hear you. You can hear me, right, oh. Chris? Yep, I can hear okay. you. I can't hear you. Maybe it's me. Is it? It's you, bro. Chris, can you? Uh, yeah. We can hear you. I can hear oh, you, Marquise and Louis. Maybe it's me. It's you, man. No way. <laughs> I'll, while you fix your issue there. I was just going to say, you were talking about dropping calls. I remember mm -hmm. had to be almost 15 years ago. There was a version of the iPhone that came out that had the antenna in the sort of frame of the phone. And if you held the phone a certain way and your finger happened to sort of complete that circuit, it would drop the call. And my buddy was a big cell phone techie guy and he like lost his mind and called, you know, wherever he got the phone from. He's like, I can't even use this thing. And their solution was, we'll just send you a free case. So we've come a long way from hardware that, you know, is uh, not really fixable to, uh, you know, like what Mar Marquise was saying, where now you can have 5G boosters. If everybody has a 5G modem in their house, effectively, that becomes the cell phone network in itself, right? So mm -hmm. interesting how things have progressed. Yeah. yeah. Marquise, can you, are you still having issues? This is why I don't wear headphones. I used to wear, I bought a very fancy pair of JBL headphones and it has a pass through and everything else on it. Right. And mm -hmm. I used to use it for the episode, but when I would mute it on my computer, let's say I had to cough or something like that, the, the, uh, some reason the, the headphone would override that. So I'm thinking I'm muted and here I am hacking my brains out and you can hear all of it, but yet it shows that my mic's not lit up because somehow it would mute this and pick up the mic in the headset. So I, I didn't like that at all. So now I do not use those headphones for recordings just because. And it was even difficult to find headphones that had a physical jack. Like I'm an old school nightclub DJ. I like having a wire. I don't want to be doing a gig and then my headphone batteries die. And I now I can't even use my main tool. But to mm -hmm. find headphones that still have a wire that you can plug in where even <laughs> if your battery's shot, it's almost impossible. It's like Sony, JBL, there's only a couple most of them are totally wireless, which is great, but I, I'm I'm a buttons and knobs guy. I like to have Analog. things that mm -hmm. don't fail, like software that like Marquis just had an, an issue. Yeah. 
if we were all running this hardwired through a PA system, that wouldn't happen, right? Yeah. It's not as reliable as it could be. I, to, I do want to say to your point about the, the headphone situation, people were really upset whenever um, like Samsung and Apple removed the, the 3.5 millimeter jacks. They're like, nobody, they're not doing it anymore. But there are a lot of benefits. Tight. You still have, that's because your phone's like 15 years old, dude. Come on. We talked bro, about this. We talked about this. <laughs> jealous I'm not an Apple We guy. talked about this. I have both. You know so what? I'm I. just good at it. So, so, no, but they, they are, there are benefits, obviously, water, waterproofing, sandproofing, oh, sorry, sand, dirt and dust resistance, stuff like that. But also th there are, the other benefit is that, that eventually Bluetooth technology is going to be far more reliable than, than those wired connections. And that's kind of what they're hoping for. So I don't, I mean, having a one P solid device that doesn't have any openings is what the aim is for these, uh, these manufacturers, these, you know, these uh, companies like Apple and Samsung and so forth. We'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah. Probably cheaper to manufacture too, right? The more you can decontent. I, I mean, just, just now Apple's decided to go USB-C. It's only been what, 10 years that we've had this bloody technology. <laughs> so fi yeah, finally, there's regulation. You know, the, the days of, oh, there's a new phone out. You got to buy a new charger. Like, that's ridiculous. That's just proprietary money grab. Let's be honest. You know, even like try to upgrade the motherboard of, a, of an iMac. It's impossible. You can't, unless you go to Apple and have them retool the whole computer, you can't just go to a... And I'll give you a perfect example of why I kind of lean one way or the other. So I wanted a real power horse of a new computer. If I go buy the new MacBook Air or whatever, or MacBook Pro, it's like $2,700. You're getting 16 gigs of RAM and a 500 gig hard drive SSD. I went and bought a tower that was refurbished from a, I think it was a computer coding company. And so it's like 32 gigs of RAM, 1.5 terabytes, you know, four gig processor, all this yeah. stuff. 400 bucks for a computer that would literally clean the clock of the newest, fanciest Apple product. So I think there's a lot of marketing in these things. You know, the fancy titanium case, they look beautiful, they illuminate great. That's nice. But what are you actually getting in terms of horsepower? And I've kind of gone the full circle where like my wife wanted the standalone iMac, the big screen, the all-in-one. We bought it. I hate it. <laughs> the slowest computer I've ever used. I thought apples don't crash. It crashes. I, I just, you know, when you, uh, everyone prefers what they prefer, depending on your application. For my wife, she doesn't want to get too techy, doesn't want a million settings, just wants that familiarity. But half the time her iPhone, like she has a four-year-old iPhone. We're trying to get all the photos off of there from our daughter. And even syncing it with an Apple computer is not pulling everything off. Different mm. versions, even using a different cable. Could have told uh, me, man. I can, I like can it, fix that for you. you it's just, told me. I, I plug my phone into my laptop. I drag and drop. It's done. I, I need that. I need it to be easy. Like if I made a video down here for our next episode, I load this on my phone. It's faster than Google Drive. Run upstairs, plug it into my processing power horse computer, and I can be done this thing in an hour. With Apple, I think it'd be a lot more complicated. You know, I, I mean, there's it's all cloud-based, but that can go wrong too. You know, my former editor of my last show, half the time he would render our episode and instead of saving it on his computer, it tried to save it on the cloud and it crashed halfway through. So mm. he's got a two hour render job. That's now a yeah. five hour render job because he's got to do it over again. Stuff huh. like that really drives me nuts. Maybe I'm old school. I'm at that age of <laughs> not quite accepting the new, you know, it's all good, but sometimes what it's is not this gadget. <laughs> Sometimes you, you need wires. You need something a little more stable. It's very All cool, right. but I don't. I think the first iteration of anything is always problematic. Kind of like electric cars. We're going through that now. Replacement <laughs> yeah. Tesla batteries were thirty grand. 
So like you can go buy a used Honda Civic for 1500 bucks. You're never going to buy an electric car for that kind of money because it's going to depreciate till the value of the replacement battery and then it's worth zero. So, you know, if you got a 5K, a $5,000 Nissan Leaf and it's an eight grand battery, you're not going to spend the money. So that car is now literally worth zero. You got a 4,000 pound lithium paperweight <laughs> that doesn't recycle well. And that's that's a problem we're going to have in the future. But that's a whole other topic. You know, this kind of reminds me of uh, something that I was looking up. Uh, it's called um, obsolescence, I think, where just stuff. Plan, just... Planned obsolescence. Yeah. yeah, planned obsolescence. Yeah. Yeah. It's built in yeah. everything. 100%. You got to look. If you're if you're interested in that, check out Jacques Fresco. Jacques Fresco. Check him out. And the Venus Project. Check it out, man. It's true. We all know stuff was built better years ago. You know, like uh, uh, I have a pair of dual CD players that's probably 10 years old. The brand new ones, they just came out. I know a few nightclub owners. These guys own like $10, $12 million worth of nightclubs. They sent all the new ones back because they're glitchy. The DJs don't like them. It's supposed to be the best iteration that they've ever had. And it's crap. The guys are like, give me the old one. At least it was stable. So with new advancements, you don't always get reliability. Sometimes you have a good thing, right? You don't have to reinvent the wheel if it if it works. But we have this, you know, that one's going to be no good. You want to get the newest one. You got an iPhone 10? Nah, man, they're on like what? iPhone 300 now? You got to get one every six months? This is intentionally designed, you know? It doesn't, even the battery life. I, You know, for me, the only reason I still have this phone is it's the only one that's lasted this long where the battery is still good. Most of my other phones, I never broke the screen or anything, but they don't hold a charge all day. That's not good for me if I'm running a business. So because the battery was poor, it now forces me to make a $1,200 decision. And that's exactly what these manufacturing companies want. They don't want a customer for life. You know, there's no money in a car that doesn't break. Service is most of the profit of a car dealership. It's not the sales of the car. It's the service of the car. So I think not, that's not going away. Yeah, I think Google just with their new release of devices, they're, they're promising seven years of software updates, which is probably the, the most important thing in a phone. Obviously, as a software, the hardware is important yeah. because it's where, you know, but the software is important because every year they update it. And if you lose those updates, you lose functionality, connectivity, you have issues. It's ridiculous. But Google is now promising seven years, I believe. Check it out. Check Fact check me on that one. Um, but um, that's a big deal because that means they're, that they're they're kind of making a commitment that their devices will last for a minimum of seven years. Obviously, why, why else would they do that? Um, so that's a pretty, again, that they make a new phone every single year. And if you get one of them now, the new one will last you for at least, according to their, you know, their projections, at least seven years. Mm -hmm. So I think the deal. biggest reason why people upgrade is broken screens. Even though, you know, you can go to like a local screen repair place. Some people yeah. are hesitant. You know what happens to your files? What if it goes wrong and you lose your data? So more often than not, people are upgrading because of the screen. And I had like the second or third version of the Samsung Galaxy with Gorilla Glass, literally could not break the screen. Even when the phone was shot, I tried smashing it with a hammer to crack the screen. I wound up like cracking the phone, but the screen Same. never deviated. Yeah. Same. And then Actually, eight years later, you buy what should be 10 times better phone and the yeah. stupid curved edge. It's <laughs> great. Like if you drop it this way or this way, but if you happen to hit it kind of like on the edge of something, it's enough to just nick the side of the phone and put this, you know what I mean? I've never yep, broken yeah. a screen. I'm always careful. But if they're going to have devices at last, I want to know what kind of screen material they're using. Because well, let me let me give you some some uh, comfort here, my friend. The they could make a screen Samsung that never breaks. Let's be honest, okay? <laughs> they could. 
They could. They have they have like really glass. I don't know, glass like seven or eight or whatever. But the new phones. I have a Samsung Galaxy Note twenty Ultra. Freaking love this phone. Love it. Um, I do a lot of AR work. I work in AR. I have these glasses called X Real. They used to be called N Real. And essentially, if you plug it into a Samsung Galaxy phone, you have this this like display called Samsung Dex. It's essentially like a computer interface, but it's a mobile. It's obviously a mobile application that you interact with. And all my a lot of my work I use it for. So I'll plug it in, stand in the kitchen. I'll stand there and I'll do a lot of my work with the Dex and the AR glasses, and it is phenomenal. But when it comes to the the breaking uh, the breaking your phones, this phone I've dropped on outside on the on the concrete. The back shattered, the front, end, and it bounced, by the way, back and forth. And I was like, oh, my. I just stood there like, I quit. I give up on life. Um, picked it up, phone screen, no scratches, none. The back shattered. Yeah. Totally shattered. The chassis got to be as strong as the screen. It's glass on both sides. So I just so happened to take the, 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 uh, the case off for whatever stupid purpose I had. And in that moment, I decided to drop it. <laughs> <laughs> And what's the value on a phone like that? Twelve. Oh, this phone cost me fourteen hundred dollars because wow. I got you know the large. Yeah, I don't get. I don't. I don't. Unfortunately, I have a. I have a tech problem. You don't even want to know. It's terrible. It's, terrible. <laughs> it's bad. It's like an addiction. Yeah. Some people drink. Some people buy electronics. That's is yeah for sure. It'd be cheaper if you drank. Probably. Because <laughs> you ain't drinking fourteen hundred bucks in one night. That's for sure. But you can drop <laughs> that on a single... phone in twenty yeah. minutes. Every year, almost. That's what. I mean. so, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I thought was really cool in uh, your guys's episode on AI and robotics. Um, you guys were going through like different robotics machines. I remember one that caught my eye was um, a machine that'll fold your clothes yeah. for you. Laundroid. That's so Laundroid. funny. Laundroid. <laughs> yeah. Laundroid. That that is if you have too much money and nothing to spend it on. I don't know Couple what it costs. Dudes. But I mean, a Roomba about. is twelve ninety nine Canadian right now, Jeez. and it is still a little bit problematic. It does not work other than giving your cat a free ride around the living room. <laughs> it can't go over big rugs. If it's too small an area between the coffee table and the wall, it can't fit. You have to basically make sure your floor plan is conducive to the size of that giant hockey puck sliding around your floor. It's a cool idea. I thought it was a gimmick, but apparently it works well. I know some people that have them, but that's twelve ninety nine. So. This thing doesn't wash your clothes. It just takes freshly washed clothes out of the dryer and will fold them, sort them, stack them, and away mm -hmm. you go, right? So for for uh, for people that love luxury, you know, there's even robotic toilet seats, massaging, yeah. heated, warm spray, cleansing. Like it's literally like a friggin' robot for your bum. So yeah. if you got more the, money than uh, than brains, you could buy just about anything. The, the name of the game in this situation is adoption. Like you're not going to get – these technologies are like very fringe. Nobody – you're not going to be able to get mass adoption of this technology. So you know, when, it, when, you, when you think about what kind of things will truly change the everyday person's life, it is things that are, that are in the consumer realm. So in my opinion, and I focus on this a lot, consumer technology will pave the way for or at least give you a vision of um, or I should say the groundwork for what the vision of the future is going to be like for us in terms of, of how our, our life's going to be improved by tech. Cell phones, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality. Uh, Oculus did a whole you know presentation recently, Meta, I should say, sorry, Meta, did a presentation where 
they uh they because Meta bought Oculus, Facebook bought Oculus, changed their name to Meta, and and just ate that term. But they did this new presentation with their mixed reality headset where you can bring these digital objects in your rea- in your into your house. So it'll map out your environment, every object, everything, and then you can place a TV screen or a picture frame with changing pictures on the wall um, anywhere in the house, and it will stay there. It's persistence. So it and when you put the headset on, you walk around your house. It's mapped every room out, and you can you can see. You know, when you walk into one room, there's a picture frame. Another, there's a calendar that has all the things, your dates on it. Another room, there's a there's a there's an animated, uh, three dimensional, you know, uh, uh, representation of music. So when you play music, it does some kind of a dance, so to speak, and you can see and visualize what the music's doing. It's phenomenal. Those are the kinds of technologies that that will eventually become uh, have that mass adoption. Probably not the 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 uh, the uh, lawn lawn. What do you call it again? Android. Android. <laughs> Android. But it's cool though. That's cool. That's it's just cool it's to cool. see. Yeah. You know, because in the Jetsons world, maybe, but really, I think it's the small things. The biggest thing I was surprised with is the uh, sort of care aspect of it. So, in the world of like medicine, there's four main types of robots, right? You have the sort of uh, surgical robots, post-operative. Then you have like the rehabilitation, recovery yeah. ones. I've actually got them all written here. Uh, so you've got of course you yeah, do. pharmacy <laughs> where it'll automatically dispense the right pills yeah. all the time, never makes a mistake. There's no theft. Nobody that's, uh, you know, has an issue with pills can just steal them from the hospital or they get in the wrong hand. But the last one that I found was kind of surprising was care homes. So they have these like Android robots in nursing homes. Now, to you or me, that would seem kind of weird. It would be like a kid sort of thing. But if you're an 85 year old man or woman that's never interacted with this kind of stuff and this thing knows your name and asks you questions and reminds you that it's your nephew's birthday next week, you would be completely blown away. And in a, it's sad, but in a world where people don't have really any companionship, maybe their yeah. spouse has already passed, their kids don't see them. It's better to have a robot or something that resembles sentience than nothing. The loneliness kills more people. I mean, we've all heard stories of somebody that was, you know, older, but doing okay. When in a nursing home, six months later, they're gone. Like when you lose that hope or if you get depressed, they stop eating, you stop exercising, you can decay very quickly. So just having something that can maybe provide a little bit of comfort, companionship, something to remind somebody they're not alone. I think that is just as impactful as a surgical robot that can save a life because effectively it is saving that yeah. person's life because without it, they might cash out sooner. So allow, allow me to salivate in, in, on this for a moment because I had a conversation with PI today where I talked about the things that the technologies that are going to really be significant. And one of the things that I told it and it agreed with me and expanded on, on my thoughts, really interesting conversation is, is this idea of conversational AI. Um, you just that that is a perfect representation of what the benefits of that kind of technology is. So you gave an example of being in a nursing home. Imagine if somebody is in the nursing home and you can attach a conversational AI with a voice, um, preferably that you whatever voice you think would be, you know, easier to, to accept. And it it always it's always patient. It never gets frustrated. It answers all your questions. It can listen to you whenever you have anything to say, and it can be empathetic and care for you and about you and develop a relationship and personal uh, connection with you, but in an appropriate way where it sets boundaries and, and and gives you a real expectation of what its place is in your life. Plus, back to the meta, the meta quest uh, three, they're, they're just, and during that presentation, they talked about the idea of avatars. This is, this is a big deal. So 
imagine having an AI that you can talk to on your phone. You put a headset on. It has an avatar embodied persona of itself. It goes with you to different worlds and realms. It talks to you about your experiences. It helps you with your day-to-day activities. It helps you with your, if you need a therapist, if you need a friend, if you need somebody to talk about movies or games or you want to play a game with somebody, it can do all of those things. And the intelligence is persistent throughout each application and knows you and develops a relationship with you. That's the power of personal intelligence. And I think that that's going to be the biggest thing. And we're seeing it now. But for the for the sake of, of it being, uh, you know, I mean, millions of people started using ChatGPT. Millions from the jump. It's got a 4.9 rating on the, the App Store. How? Um, PI has a 4.7 rating on the App Store. These, this is, these are apps that are like, I thought they would get really bad ratings because maybe the people would be like, oh, you don't, you're not going to allow me to be racist. This is, this is left wing. They let people be racist. And they talk to them like a person, allow people to be angry and have biases and not judge them for that. And I think that's important. I, I believe that it is important to allow people to be who they are and not judge them. But some of us can't do that. And so they need someone to be able to take whatever biases they may have and validate them and their perspective, but be respectful and, and also don't like say, yeah, screw those, you know, these people, and <laughs> but not judge them for how they feel about something and try to help them kind of change their perspective in a more, you know, easy way without, um, without resistance. It's a big deal. Do you guys think, cause it seems just from talking to you guys and then me doing my own little research on this topic is any career or is anybody going to be safe from AI and robotics? Cause it just seems like this is going to touch like so many aspects of our lives and like, we're not going to be able to escape it at, at some point. Yeah, there was an accountancy firm called PwC, and they estimate that between 2017 and 2037, so that 20-year window, 7 million jobs will be displaced due to AI and robotics. However, those jobs just become different jobs. They don't disappear. They just become more computer and tech-based jobs. That will replenish 7.2 million jobs. And again, it's just a study. We don't know because we're not in 2037, but what they're forecasting is that even though many jobs will be sort of eliminated, the replacement and the demand in other areas will be more. So that is still a net 200,000 jobs created as a result of the implementation of this technology. So yes, some things will change, but it's not eliminating jobs. It's just redefining those jobs and those roles. So, I mean, there's people that are doing roles right now that 20 years ago, that job didn't exist. Like IT guy, nobody was an IT guy in the 80s. The internet didn't even exist, you know, or a very rudimentary version of it. So I think moving forward, there will be new careers and new areas of of, uh, study and new areas of discipline and and careers that don't exist right now. You know, there there needs to be people that are going to be servicing these machines, you know, uh, maybe teaching older people how to use them, schools. I mean, applications are endless. But the big companies that are spending money on the development of this, they wouldn't do it if they knew it was going to lead to backlash. Like if everybody catches on and says, wait a minute, you're just erasing jobs around the planet. Let's revolt against this. And you've invested nine billion dollars in this platform. So I think there is some coherence about that as well. And Marquise, you mentioned that on a previous show, the whole actor's strike was part and parcel with this whole AI thing so that it doesn't eliminate people from the creative role. Oh wow! So I gotta I gotta salivate a little bit more on this one because this is a big I, I so inflection AI the 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 um company that is that is now owned by Mustafa, um, 
he talks about this. I mean, they all talk about the idea of job, job, job displacement. And the one thing that they say, a couple of things they say, one, we have built a society where working is essentially the, what makes a person valuable. Your job is, is who you are. It's what, it's what your intrinsic value is to the rest of the population. But that's not the purpose of being human or being alive. There's a far greater purpose for you in this life than just having a job at a factory. Um, if you believe otherwise, then, then that's fine. But I don't think most people enjoy their factory job. As a matter of fact, all of them hate their job. Um, they're miserable. They develop health effects because of repetitive um, tasks that cause all kinds of ailments. You name it, right? In the future, in the very near future, they're not just going to eliminate jobs and then leave people jobless. They're actually working, and this is important to know, Sam Altman and all these different Google and you know all these different tech giants are working with the government on how they can fix this issue of potential of, of inevitable job displacement because of AI by implementing eventually UBI or something akin to it, where people don't have to worry about that kind of thing, where they have jobs that are more meaningful that improve the quality of their life versus having to having to work um, just to make money and that being a representation of what your value is in life. I, I think it's crazy that people are concerned about lose. Like, why would you want to be a, a who loves working at McDonald's? What if you yeah. could eliminate that? Well, the first thought is, oh, then I won't have a job. But but if the government gets involved, which they are, by the way, then it's not about losing your job. It's about it's about being able to do something more with your life now. Now you don't have to work at Walmart, McDonald's or Walmart or whatever. Now you can do the thing, the things that you want to do. Now you can have the experiences that you want to have. Because guess what? We all got to die. And I don't think we all want to spend, what is it, like 60% of our life working? 70% if, if, if that? Of our waking life that is working? That sucks. We don't get to spend time with our family. And when we do, we're tired. Is that how we really want to, like, is that really what we want? Um, I think we need to change. And I've been convinced by this. We need to change the paradigm of society, of civilization, and what it, what you know, think about what it means to be human, um, what it means to have a quality of life and what, you know, what the what place AI can really have in liberating us from a lot of these things that we, you know, now we take we take them as as essential and necessary. Um, we'll look back at them in one day and say, why the heck did we ever live that way? Wow. I um I know we're coming up close on time, guys. I wanted to ask just like one one, maybe two more questions. Um what are the future plans for your guys' show? Like any like topics that you could um, reveal right now or like any future guests that you have lined up? And I will say, I I think a great episode would be on uh, AR VR would be a really cool yeah. episode. I already, I, it's already in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> not, 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 not next week, but it is absolutely on my mind for sure. Yeah. In terms of guests, I don't want to say, A, because I'm superstitious, don't want to jinx it. And uh, B, I used to have an issue where I would uh, have a, a big name, you know, I would promote it and say, hey, this person's coming on the show. And then all the other shows in that genre would just like reach out, try to get an interview with that person faster and release it, you know, quicker than my interview. So I just became in the habit of not talking. But to uh, answer your question in a vague way, lots of cool topics, including what you just mentioned there, augmented reality and things like that. Quantum scale things. What do these technologies actually mean? You know, we're, if we're breaking into the world of this is here, it's not some, you know, 50 years out kind of stuff. It's right now. There's so many subsequent episodes that just come out of that statement, right? Like, what does that look like in medicine? What does it look like in, 
even like like quantum technology, quantum computing, how are imaging devices like MRIs and things like that, how are they now changing? What space exploration look like, right? Everything that runs an algorithm is essentially AI. So it yeah. is such a mouthful that the, it's literally almost endless, the topics that roll out of it. And we could do yeah. a deep dive on just about any of them. Um, but also we want to incorporate a good amount of uh, human interaction, you know, um, other guests. Um, we've got some propulsion experts. We've got some astrophysicists, things like that. People all over the world that we're in talks with. Um, like anything, sometimes this takes a few months to book these people. So as of now, we've got about five, three that have confirmed that two that are still kind of playing the game a little bit. But uh, we don't. We would rather not do an episode than just do one for the sake of doing one. That's why we've opted not yeah. to go five nights a week live. Yeah, uh, I think that's a mistake. A lot of shows do. You know, they they need a guest, so they'll take any guest because they just need somebody on the show. And you're not producing good content when you're doing that. And unless you've been doing it for a long time and have a big following, you know, there's some forgiveness there. But if you go into the the chat rooms of some of these bigger shows, look at the sidebar conversations. Most time, nobody's talking about what the host and guest is like. They're not even listening to the show. They're just there yeah. because they're used to their friends in the chat room. They're having fun. People are tossing around, you know, chicken pot pie recipes and the host talking about <laughs> it's aliens. Wild. It's like, wild. It's they're not wild. even listening. So we'd rather produce good content than just yeah. do a show for the sake of doing a show. So we can live without a guest. We can live without a specific topic, but um, whatever we put forward is deliberate. We intended that. We researched that. It's exactly how we wanted to do it. There's nothing by accident. So, But what I would say is stay tuned because we're just starting. We're only released episode four. Um, you know, In four months' time, we'll be at over 20. We are going to do some lives as well. So the best thing, if anybody wants to find out uh, what we're doing or when, is um, follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you get notified every time there's a new episode. You can listen to our show on Spotify, Apple, YouTube. Uh, we're going to be on some others as well, like Google, Amazon, things like that. All the major players. Yeah. So basically, if somebody wants to uh, wants to find us, just Google Quantum Ladder Podcast or just go to YouTube. We'll pop up and uh, yeah, you can take a look at our, our library of stuff. And to be clear, I, I identify as a as an armchair, you know, aspiring armchair futurist philosopher and you know, just just thinker about these things. So so I think it's important to check out the Facebook page for, for because there's a lot of content on there that we put a lot of effort into. Some again, my I do the blogging on um and post it on our Facebook page. I really want to push the Facebook page as something that people go to for just to see who we are, how our minds think about these things, uh, get more context of of what we believe in and, and again, connect with us. Because I, again, I think that it's not just about putting out great content, which I believe we, we are going to, we do, and we're going to continue to do. It's also about connecting with people and sharing, you know, our, ourselves with that. We're sharing ourselves. This is us. We're giving you a, an insight into who we are and, and we're sharing that with you. I think that's really cool. And I really enjoy it. I, I love it. I think it's very fulfilling. So. Yeah, there's no shameless self-promotion on our Facebook page. They're all cool science and technology articles. It's things yeah. to make you think. So if people are fans of this, we want to be a resource of that material, right? There's literally, we're putting at least two articles a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last night, I found something on demon mode and superconductors. Like, 
what you know it's the kind of thing you have to click it and read it so yeah. most shows i think they they get it wrong and most businesses in general get it wrong with social media where it's like buy this from us buy this from us hey come on in buy a card today people know you sell cars or flowers or whatever your business specializes and they know that they're going to your page because they want to see insights they want to see testimonials yeah. they want you to have, give them a free recipe uh you know whatever happens to be relevant in your field people want to get some value so we don't use, I mean, we post our episode there once a week, but uh, every other day you're going to get, you know, 10 articles within a week and one episode. So 10 to one ratio of free information versus here's our content. Yeah. So nice. Well, I thank you very much, guys. Uh, I'll include the links to, you know, uh, Facebook, your YouTube channel, and the other places that people can watch uh, the Quantum Ladder podcast. Uh, I'll include it in the episode description. Appreciate and, it. Um, this was really cool. No, it was really fun to talk to you guys and I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to do this and yeah, I'm big fan and I'm going to keep watching your guys' show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. the invite. Yeah. It's great chatting with you. You're a smart guy. You're well-educated. You uh, present very well. So listen to yourself back. You won't be, you <laughs> yeah, won't you're... be scared as you think. You've got a, you've got a good, good voice for this. You're doing yeah. just fine. So. Enjoyed uh, hanging out with you today. I, I appreciate that, guys. Um, and then just really quick, you know, everybody out there, thank you much, very much for listening. Um, this is Chitash. My name is Chris, and take care, everybody.